And one final time with you. Uh, I've enjoyed being here. It's meant a lot to me. It's hard to do a gospel meeting and try to decide which lessons to do. There's so many I I want to do. I I hope uh, as we've gone through the week that what we did in the Sunday morning Bible classes, uh, a good reminder and ringing true to your mind that there is just so much to see in God's Word. Uh, And there's been so often, I think, in, in I look at my own life and how... Uh, I was taught about the Bible, such a surface level view uh, of the scriptures when there is such a beauty and a depth of God and his glory that's there to be seen. Uh, And I've been excited to share some of those with you. I've debated between about four different lessons to present tonight. The one on the screen is not what was in the ad, so there you go. Uh, I'm a little uh, surprised that this is the only change that I made this week. Uh, I thought I was going to probably change a bunch of them, but uh, I kind of tried to hold true to all that. How do you choose all these different exciting stories and events and narratives and pick pick only seven? It's it's very tough. It's, It's been so much fun to do this with you. But I went ahead and went with this text. If you open your Bibles to Exodus 24, I find this text to be so beautiful, so monumental, and I think absolutely life-changing to the heart of the Christian. And that's why I want to go ahead and share this text with you. Uh, Exodus 24. Now, in setting up what has happened, one of the chapters you perhaps know pretty well is Exodus 20. That's the Ten Commandments. If you remember in Exodus chapter 19, God had said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to meet the people. I'm going to be with them and they're going to come to know me. And you go through the beginning of Exodus, this is not a people that knows God yet. And so God is revealing himself. And God is going to show who He is. He first shows who He is in the plagues. And now He's going to really show who God is to the people. And if you remember, that Exodus 19 said, I'm going to come down on Mount Sinai. And everybody needs to stay away. Nobody can approach the mountain. No human can come to the mountain. Not even animals can touch this mountain. And God then comes down in a majestic way as He then begins to speak the Ten Commandments to the people as the mountain quakes, as there is smoke and darkness and cloud and rumblings, and it says that the sound of the trumpets just grew louder and louder and louder, and as God spoke, it was like thunder booming before the people. The people are so terrified that they tell Moses, don't let God do that again. (laughs) You go and talk to God and you tell us what God says. Notice the people understood at the first moment of encountering God, we need an intercessor. We can't just have God talk to us. Moses, you be the one to go up and talk to God. And when you come down, we'll listen to what you say about that. And so that's exactly then what transpires is then the rest of chapter 20 all the way through chapter 23, Moses is going up and receiving various commands and laws given by God. And now Moses is coming down with those laws. So that's where we are in Exodus 24. And here is the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel and worship from afar. 
Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up to me. So notice there's a reiteration of this mountain and in the severity of it. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Let's stop there as we get the scene as it is before us. A neat picture that that is given here is now Moses comes down from the mountain and basically in verse 3 says that Moses gives all of the rules and all the words of the Lord. The people said, you go up up to God and you get the laws and you tell us. So now what's happening is Moses is now repeating to the people everything in chapter 20, 21, 22, and 23. Here's the laws, here's the rules, here are the decrees that God has set forth. And notice what the people say to that all that the Lord has spoken we will do they are committing to obedience we will do everything that God has said and the imagery that now comes after that is amazing because what you are reading is the ratification of the covenant between God and the people notice what Moses does in verse 4 he writes down all of the words of the Lord so now he's putting them in the book of the covenant as it's called here so he's writing down all of the words notice sacrifices are being made of oxen as described there and burnt offerings in in verse 5 and notice in particular there is a, a picture of the two parties in this covenant Notice that there is the altar which sits at the base of the mountain. And then there are 12 pillars. And it's not hard to understand the imagery. The 12 pillars, the text even specifically says, represent the 12 tribes of Israel. The altar at the base of the mountain, the mountain that no one is supposed to touch, clearly represents God. And so here is God, and here are the people of Israel. And a covenant now is being made. And first with the blood of the sacrifice, notice what Moses does is that he throws the blood against the altar. So here is the blood being sealed in regards to the covenant on God's end. But before anything else happens next, notice what then Moses does in verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. The reason I find that fascinating is because Moses just read that. Remember, he came down and said, here's what God said. Here's the rules. Here's the decrees. All the people said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. He goes, okay, let me write all that down. And he writes it all down in the book. He takes the blood, throws it against the altar, turns around and reads the book. 
that He just wrote with all of the commands that He had just spoken to them. And now notice the response of the people in verse 7. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, we will be obedient. They are now affirming and agreeing to the stipulations of the covenant. And by doing so, listen carefully to what Moses then does in verse 8. He just imagine he throws the blood on the people and says, This is the blood of the covenant. Just to visualize it, just throwing that blood out there on all the people. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. So now with the blood thrown on the people, we are seeing the picture of a ratification of the covenant between God and with Israel. One of the things that immediately God is trying to teach Israel is that blood is the basis for the relationship with God. If we are going to be in relationship with God, there is a necessity of blood. That happens early on with Adam and Eve even. There is always a necessity of blood. If God is going to be with His people, then a covenant relationship between God and the people is going to require blood. And that's what's happening here. To get a sense of the blood of the covenant, just recognize what the people are doing is that they are declaring their obedience to the covenant and the blood is seen as like a sealing, a ratification. You now belong to the covenant. You are now a part of it. You have agreed to the stipulations. And now you are sealed as the people of God. And the reason why that is so important is because now after this moment, everything changes for the relationship of Israel. Watch what happens now in verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, And the seventy elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under His feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And He did not lay His hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. That is a staggering scene. The reason why this is so staggering is on so many levels. One, it says, they saw God. And to make sure you believe it, it says it again in verse 11, they beheld God. Now this is staggering because in Exodus 19, God made it very clear that He was only going to come to them in a voice. And now all of a sudden, these 74 people, the chief priests, 70 of them, Nadab and Abihu, Moses and Aaron, they are able to see God. And notice where they're doing this. Here God says, come up the mountain. God had just spent an inordinate amount of time saying, no one touched this mountain. Nobody can come near it. In fact, God had told Moses to put a barricade around it so that nobody would accidentally go and approach that mountain because if anybody touches the mountain, they're going to die. But after the blood of the covenant has been sealed upon the people, God's next words are, come on up the mountain. Can you imagine that for a minute? 
I don't know that I'm the first person to go touch that. I mean, like Moses, you go ahead. I'm, if I'm one of the 70 elders, okay, you go make sure that's okay. Because God just spent tons of time saying, don't you dare touch it. Even if an animal runs by, it's going to die. And now, at this amazing scene, what should have been fatal for these leaders of Israel now turns into a blessing. Before, if they come up and touch the mountain, they're going to die. Now they come up to the mountain and what happens to them? They behold God. And what is particularly significant about this is that the blood of the covenant is what is making this moment possible. And even more so, notice the imagery that's given. This is just, I I don't know how else to describe it, except mind-blowing the way it's described in verse 11. God did not lay His hand on the chief men. So there again, underscoring, should have died, but they're not. They're allowed to be on the mountain. They beheld God, and what did they do? Had a meal. They sit down on the mountain with God, if you will, and ate and drank. It's a staggering image. And I think it's so important for us to capture the imagery of what has happened here. In ancient Near Eastern times, meals signified and confirmed covenants that were being given. You see them in the book of Genesis, like in Genesis chapter 26. Over and over again, covenants are often confirmed and ratified not only with blood, but with a meal that would go along with it. But even consider further than that what meals represent. It's not just simply a covenantal transaction, but also is a picture of an intimate relationship. That's one of the things that is mystifying and amazing about the betrayal of Jesus that is highlighted. It would be the one who would even eat with Jesus that would be the betrayer. And the idea is that it's not an enemy. It's not somebody who had opposition to Jesus all their life. It is a close friend. The idea of eating together represents that. And even still in our society today, we have that. Who do you eat with? Well, you don't eat with the people you hate. You eat the people that are friends. You eat with people who you care about, who you have a relationship with. So we even still carry that somewhat today. But that was all the more so in ancient Near Eastern times. as It was a beautiful picture of a close, intimate fellowship and relationship. And that is what is being pictured here. Is Here is this moment where God is in fellowship with Israel and is accepting this covenant between God and the people. The people are now in in, in covenant relationship. The people are now able to enjoy proximity and closeness and intimacy with God that they were not able to have before. And all of this is because of the blood of the covenant. Think about how often Jesus uses this kind of imagery in the New Testament. You have Jesus telling parables over and over again about banquets, right? You have these people, they all come together and they have a banquet. And it's an important image because one of the images that's given again and again is that outsiders and outcasts and sinners, they're all joining in fellowship with God. 
You have them all in these parables and here they are joining together in the great banquet of God. They're having fellowship with God. Don't lose the parable of just simply a random idea about, okay, well here's this meal. But the meal communicated a covenantal intimacy. And in those parables, Israel is being shown as not a part of that covenant intimacy, but those who are outsiders, Gentiles, those who are sinners, tax collectors, they're allowed to come close to God and have fellowship and have a meal with Him and eat and drink. In fact, you see that when Jesus does that with the feeding of the 5,000. It is interesting, the feeding of the 5,000. In John's account of that, you have the Passover as the backdrop, which is again this Exodus imagery of God being with His people. He has come to have fellowship and covenantal relationship with them. Which is why Jesus, by no accident, one of the charges that is laid against Jesus over and over again is that He eats with tax collectors and sinners. Why is He doing that? There's a representation of God coming to be with His people and these are the ones who are entering into relationship. Remember the the howling that went on when Jesus is going to go to Zacchaeus' home. Well, don't you know what a terrible guy he is? This horrible tax collector? And Jesus going to his house and declaring salvation has come to this house. You have Zacchaeus turning around and saying, if I've wronged anybody or cheated anybody, I'll restore it. I will fix it and I'll fix it up to fourfold. You see this imagery of when God comes, His people are going to be united with Him, be in covenant relationship with Him, and eat a meal with Him. And Zacchaeus was part of that direct imagery. What I want us to see in this is that what we have is this beautiful foreshadowing of a day that's going to come when people are going to be able to see the Lord eat and drink with Him in covenantal fellowship. Now what I would like to draw our attention to that I think is particularly interesting is in regards to the Lord's Supper. And I want you to zero in into Exodus 24 and verse 8 one more time. Because there is a phrase there that should sound very familiar to you. (laughs) Behold the blood of the covenant. Does that ring a bell to anything? Unfortunately, we have had the tendency in describing the Lord's Supper to truncate the meaning of the fruit of the vine because we will say it's the body and it is the blood. However, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians, John doesn't have a Lord's Supper record, but the four places where the Lord's Supper is recorded, all four places describe it as the blood of the covenant or the covenant in my blood. These are worded one way or another. But it's always described as the blood of the covenant, without exception. And the imagery is moving all the way back to the imagery of Exodus 24. Notice it even in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take heed, this is My body. 
And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Notice the hearkening to the blood of the covenant. Do you hear the the same thing as Moses stood up? And hear all the people saying, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. He throws the blood on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant. And now Jesus sits down with his disciples. And as they are partaking, he gives out the fruit of the vine and says, this is my blood of the covenant that's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. There is an amazing depth and an amazing beauty behind what Jesus is describing. That the Lord's Supper and what we are doing and what we are partaking has a richness behind it that is absolutely amazing. In its simplest image, what we are seeing is that this is our fellowship meal with the Lord. Just as you see in Exodus 24, where God comes down, that here is Nadab and Abihu, Moses and Aaron, and the 70 elders, and they eat and drink with God. Now here is Jesus going about, and He is having meals with people like Zacchaeus, and then at the very end of His life, He sits down with His inner circle of disciples, and He does the very same thing, and He has a meal, He eats and drinks, and says, this is the blood of the covenant that is given for you. Here is this fellowship meal that we are able to enjoy. In fact, what I believe we are seeing when it comes to the blood of the covenant is that this is our declaration that we are going to do all that is found in the book. We are being responsive to what God has done. God has upheld His end of the covenant. Here is the blood of Christ represented. Here is the Lord who has died for our sins. And now here we are as recipients, as part of the covenant, as part of His children, enjoying this relationship. And what is one of the things that we are doing as we are partaking, particularly of the fruit of the vine, but saying... All the Lord has spoken, we will do. That we belong to the covenant. We are affirming our end of the covenant. We are saying to God, yes, we are your children. Yes, we do belong to you. Yes, we agree to the terms of the covenant. And thus it is through the blood of the covenant that we are able to be purified and that we are sealed as his children. In fact, this is the idea that 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 even describes where the cup of blessing that we bless Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? There's this imagery of fellowshipping together with God, that we are joined together in covenant, that we are enjoying this intimate relationship with God, and it is depicted in the Lord's Supper that we partake. Which brings me to a point that I think is extraordinarily important. We can have such a tendency 
to lose sight of the significant implications and deep meaning behind the Lord's Supper. It is easy for it to turn into ritual. It's just something we do. Here we are, it's Sunday, we've taken 15 minutes, and let's take the bread and let's take the cup. And I think it's important to also highlight there's absolutely nothing sacramental about it. Well, we just got to make sure to do that and we'll just be in trouble if we don't. That there is an imagery of engaging in the covenant relationship. That what we are doing is that we are sitting down and we are affirming our fellowship with God as we partake. And I would like to highlight the distinguishing that Jesus himself gives. Sometimes we've had the tendency to remember both aspects of the bread and the cup and say it means the same thing. But it should be of interesting note to us that when he takes the bread, he says, now this is my body. Here's the sacrifice. Here's the death. Here's me giving my life for you. This is me, and I've given it for you. My whole existence on this earth has been for you. I am laying my life down for the sheep. I am giving myself for you. But I would like for us to consider that as we come to the cup, he doesn't say, this is also my body. Nor does he say, this is the blood that's going to flow tomorrow when I'm on the cross. He uses this phrase. This is the blood of the covenant. We are sealing and ratifying a covenant here. You are now entering into relationship with me. I am giving myself. We remember the sacrifice in the bread. And when we come to the cup, we are remembering that we are being brought into fellowship with Him. That we are joined with Him together. It is because of His death we can have forgiveness. It is because of His death we can have covenant. It is because of His death that we can have relationship and forgiveness and hope. Which I think every Christian has always felt this tension. Who among us has not thought, is this a joyous occasion when we remember the Lord or is this a mourning occasion? Because the answer is yes, isn't it? In one sense, we're like the sacrifice is a mourning that how he gave himself for us and all that he endured and all that he goes through. And we read those accounts and we are broken inside that our sins cause that. And I think that's that bread aspect. I gave myself for you. But then there's the other side of it that says, you know, if he doesn't do that, we don't have relationship. This is the blood of the covenant. And because of his blood, we are able to join him and be his children and join him and have forgiveness and join him and be in fellowship and have relationship and call him our father. And we can enjoy all the depth of that. 
These are the two aspects that I think are coming out. And one of the things that I have just found was so exciting in going through the book of Exodus is just to be able to see the richness of that. You know, there's one other place in all of the New Testament where the blood of the covenant term is found. It's found with the Lord's Supper, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. And there's only one other spot anywhere where you get the blood of the covenant. And that's in Hebrews 9, verses 18 through 21, where you have this reminder that it is not without the shedding of blood that there would be the forgiveness of sins. And he quotes Exodus 24. This is the blood of the covenant. Again, the positive Forgiveness of sins is what has been ratified. Forgiveness of sins is what has been given to us. It has been what has been extended to us. What we are remembering is the new covenant that we are enjoying. And as we drink, we are saying before God, we will do all that you have said. We are renewing into that covenant week after week after week. And so how dare we ever try to minimize it or you know, try to make it as fast as possible. You know, let's get 18 trays stacked to the ceiling and we'll see how fast we can whip through this and hurry it along our way so that we can, we can get on with it. We should give it devotion and time and, and sincerity and deep thought as what we are actually remembering and what we are saying before God. It is what 1 Corinthians says in speaking about examining ourselves and reminding ourselves of what we are engaging in as we partake. And remembering that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. We are proclaiming all of the benefits of what it means that He did this. May it never be something that is just simply done out of ritual or habit or we have to or, you know, there's five acts of worship and if we miss that one, God's going to be mad. There is a beauty, there should be an awe that comes over us that we are remembering that we have been sealed into a beautiful covenant relationship with God. And it's because of the blood of the covenant that we are able to enjoy all the privileges of His grace. In fact, I'd like to just kind of sum it up like this. When we read this in Exodus 24 and you see this scene... Here is Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, the 70 elders of Israel. Verse 9, they go up and they saw the God of Israel. And God did not lay His hand on them. They beheld God and ate and drank. And those 74 men had absolutely no right to be on the mountain. God made that abundantly clear. God is such a holy God. No one should come near while I am here. The tabernacle represents that. Who could come near the tabernacle? Nobody. Nobody. The priests and the Levites are set up as guardians of the tabernacle so that if anyone were to break through and come near to the tabernacle, it was the Levites' job to just cut them down right there. No one goes in. Except for that one time where one single individual, a high priest, could go in. Nobody else can go in. 
you're constantly given this picture that there is not access to the Holy God. Why are they able to be on that mountain and enjoy fellowship with God? Why are they able to engage with God, fellowship with God, eat and drink? What gives them the privilege? What gives them the access? In fact, think about it. Yes, they have made this commitment. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient to the book of the covenant. How did they do? Well, we were in chapter 34 or 33 last night. We know we're only eight chapters from the golden calf. We're only 40 days from them completely failing the very thing they said. Oh yes, we will do everything that is written in the book. Of course we will obey. Yes, we are sealed into the covenant. And yes, we will do all that you have said. Just give them a couple of days. (laughs) As if that's any different than us. So why are they allowed to do this? Because the blood of the covenant meets the problem of the book of the covenant. You see, the book of the covenant shows us the problem. And we stand up and we say, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. Well, how's it going? We need the blood of the covenant to be able to be on the mountain, to be able to be in the presence of God, to be able to enjoy fellowship with Him. And what I think is just the most amazing part of all of this is God's the one that provided all that. God so desperately wants relationship with His people that He says, now here is what you are to do. Because of my holiness, here are my laws, my rules and my decrees. This is what it takes to be with me. And with all of our desire, of all of our heart, we could all raise our hands like Israel and say, we will do it. We're in. We commit completely to the covenant. And give us 40 days or 40 hours or 40 minutes. And we're in the same position as the people of Israel. And so what is God going to do to solve the problem of the book of the covenant? He's going to make an offering so that the blood can be sprinkled on the people. In fact, can I show you that real quick? Can you go over to 1 Peter chapter 1? Notice how Peter opens his book. We'll end with that thought. Notice this introduction. Because the two go hand in hand. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, watch it, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. The blood of Jesus has been put upon us For we will obey all that the Lord has spoken. But the blood of Jesus needs to be the answer to our problem of the book of the covenant. There is a richness to the Lord's Supper. There is a hopefulness 
to the blood of the covenant. That we are remembering in all of our shortcomings and all of our failures that it's through the blood of the covenant we're forgiven. That it's through the blood of the covenant we are able to enjoy relationship with God. And friends, it's through the blood of the covenant one day we will sit down and have a spiritual heavenly banquet together with God. Oh, the blood of the covenant. May we never forget how critical it was to deal with the problem of sin. Are we not so blessed to have a wonderful Savior? And what an amazing God who knew that the people would sin and said, I'll solve your problem. I'll solve your problem. You need to do everything I say, but I know you're not going to, so I'll solve your problem. be the blood of His Son sprinkled on us so that we can have hope and that we can be with Him. We don't deserve to be on Mount Zion sitting there eating and drinking. But here we sit eating and drinking with our God. You ready to come to Jesus tonight? You ready to enjoy that relationship because that's the offer God is giving you. That's the offer our Lord is offering. Come be with me. Come enjoy fellowship. Enjoy intimacy. Enjoy rest. Enjoy hope. Come and enjoy all the privileges and blessings that God has to offer. Yes, you are full of sins and God has a solution. He gave a son. Just stand up and say, I will do all that I can to the book of the covenant. And as we've talked about all week, We come before God repeatedly saying, I'm not doing a good job. But I have faith in the blood of the covenant to cover me, to cover us in the sense we've given. Won't you come to Him tonight? You can do that now while we stand in the voice.